it does have an impact on our decision making. The increased violence involving teens that has Victoria Police stepping up its patrols. Plus, I don't understand why people can't just take, take, take leave the six blocks alone. The artists volunteering to help clean up Vancouver's vandal-targeted Chinatown. People don't understand that abortion is essential. Abortion is health care. And safe access to abortion. The voices in Vancouver as rallies take place across the U.S. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but we begin in West Vancouver where an early morning shooting has sent one person to hospital. West Vancouver police say three people were taken into custody after shots were fired this morning on the Capilano Reserve. The victim is said to have suffered a non-life-threatening gunshot wound. The suspects were arrested soon after in Vancouver with the assistance of the VPD. Police add they do not believe there is a threat to the public. There will be another strong police presence in downtown Victoria tonight as Vic PD anticipates the return of large groups of young people to the area. It follows several nights over the past several weeks, including last night, where teens, many of them intoxicated, are gathering and turning violent. Imadagahi reports. What police are calling ongoing youth violence continued into this weekend. Youth as young as middle schoolers traveling into downtown Victoria from surrounding municipalities Friday and Saturday nights to party. But it isn't just the obvious underage public drinking and drug use that has officers with Vic PD most concerned. It's this. So what we're seeing is everything from, from vandalism to assaults with weapons causing and assaults causing bodily harm. And so what's happening is the kind of the core ringleaders are getting on Snapchat and TikTok saying, hey, party at this place, bring your booze and your bear spray and your drugs, and we're gonna come down, we're gonna have a party, and we're gonna cause some mayhem. To drive home their point, on Friday night, Victoria police began live tweeting their response to these alleged unruly teenagers. By the end of the night, six arrests were made, two knives taken away, while parents were called to pick up their kids from jail. The incidents appear now to be contributing to a general sense of diminished downtown safety. We've had more and more people not want to shop downtown. Um, older people are afraid to shop downtown. They're afraid to walk the street. If we're thinking of doing something downtown or you could do it somewhere else, we might go somewhere else because of this. I mean, this could be a problem in other places, but uh, it just comes with the times, I guess. Whether it's blowing off steam from two years of COVID isolation or a sense of youthful invincibility, police now warning others planning to come back Saturday night that officers will be back again on patrol, adding many of the teens getting themselves in trouble are also being treated for alcohol overconsumption. Imadagahi, Global News. And more teen violence in Metro Vancouver with several people being arrested. Last night, North Vancouver RCMP received reports of a group of teens who were fighting near the Lonsdale Key bus loop. Police attended and arrested at least eight people. No one was injured. Mounties say they recovered one replica handgun and are searching for a person who reportedly had another replica handgun on them. Police say the teens are from Surrey and Richmond and are 14 to 17 years old. The bus loop was closed for about a half hour. 
Vancouver's graffiti-plagued Chinatown got some love today as more than 100 volunteers came together for the annual cleanup. As the community looks to build bridges through art, a legendary street artist known as the godfather of downtown Eastside graffiti has a message for those who are vandalizing Chinatown. Kristen Robinson has more. Community policing volunteers cleaning up Chinatown greeted by a sign of change in this East Pender Alley. We, we see this and uh, we are inspired. What we want to do is to really uh, address the graffiti vandalism, the, the one that uh, doesn't carry the right messages. Downtown East Side graffiti artist Jamie Hardy, a.k.a. Smokey D, recently dedicated this painting to Vancouver business icon Jack Chow, along with the message respect Chinatown. It means just like if you come down here you don't have to just paint all over there and make a big mess and stuff like vandalize it all like look at it it's terrible. Although unauthorized according to the BIA Smokey D's gesture is getting positive reviews in Chinatown which has seen a 300 percent spike in graffiti. I think that that sends a strong message throughout the community and I think it's important. Uh, it's not good enough just to stay quiet about issues like this in particular when it relates to hate crime. It was done with good intention, and I, I think we have to respect that. There is a balance, and uh, you know, I, I understand that was a, a form of outreach, uh, especially with the uh, mural that was defaced. It's very immature, you know. Smokey D helped repaint this Chinatown mural after taggers targeted it in March. Straight vandalism like this, he says, gives graffiti a bad name. They just came in there and didn't do any any sort of art or anything. They just like sprayed right over top of the art, and that's not cool, right? I mean, that's like. That's really disrespecting their culture. The Vancouver Mural Festival now collaborating with the Chinatown BIA. It's like a street art gallery, in a sense. Carolyn Wong created the first piece on Tenren T's six rolling shutters. Four Blessings represents happiness, wealth, longevity, and prosperity. You know, if we start seeing more art around this neighborhood, that would really change the the atmosphere. As volunteers work to erase this, Smokey D says he's hoping younger members of the graffiti community will leave Chinatown alone. There's got to be boundaries. And I mean, it's just tasteless. I mean, like, have some respect for yourself and other people, right? Kristen Robinson, Global News. Police in Langley are investigating a fatal crash. The collision happened in the 20700 block of Grade Crescent just before 4 o'clock Friday afternoon. RCMP say a Dodge Caravan and a 1932 Ford Roadster collided. It's believed the 49-year-old driver of the Roadster swerved suddenly collided with the caravan after suffering a medical incident. The driver of the caravan was not hurt but was in shock. Anyone with information about the incident is asked to contact Langley RCMP. Police in North Vancouver are hoping to identify a suspect who allegedly committed an indecent act at a public park. Mounties say on Friday, April 22nd, shortly after 6.30 in the morning, a man who was sitting on a bench along the Spirit Trail in Waterfront Park exposed himself as a woman walked past. Police have released a sketch of the suspect. He's described as a 57-year-old male between 6 and 6 foot 3 in height and around 200 to 260 pounds in weight. He has gray hair, blue eyes, and an unkept appearance. Anyone who recognizes him is asked to call North Vancouver RCMP. Burnaby RCMP are investigating reports of a man who was allegedly seen committing an indecent act inside his car while stopped at a red light. The indecent act happened Thursday on Lowheat Highway near Gallardi Way just before 4 p.m. 
A teenager on a bus stopped beside the vehicle, took a video of the suspect and provided it to police. Mounties say the suspect's vehicle was likely gray and it appeared he wasn't wearing any pants. Police are hoping to speak to any additional witnesses who saw this incident take place. An Enderby massage therapist has been fined $4,000 and banned from practicing as a registered massage therapist for at least five years after admitting, admitting to inappropriately exposing and touching seven of his patients between 2011 and 2018. Dennis DeRoche advertises online as a massage therapist at Sage Massage Therapy in Enderby. Earlier this month, instead of facing a disciplinary hearing, he agreed to following a consent order to not apply for reinstatement with the college for at least five years. The order goes on, goes into effect rather on June 15th. DeRoche was reprimanded for similar actions in 2019 and ordered to pay $3,000 in fines for incidents that happened in 2006 and in 2012. Preparations are well underway for this year's wildfire season. BC's Wildfire Service is busy fueling aircraft and getting them deployed, ready to respond at a moment's notice. Michael Reeve of CFJC News has our story. These skimmers have arrived in Kamloops ahead of this year's wildfire season in British Columbia. Six aircrafts will call Kamloops home this summer, representing half the provincial fleet. Two RJ tankers and a bird dog will also be based out of the airport this year ready to respond. I can remember a few years ago we were up in uh, like Dease Lake, Telegraph Creek, which is obviously quite a ways away from here. But, you know, typically we spend most of our time uh, in the southern interior and not terribly far here from Kamloops. One of the nice things about the jets is they uh, can fly far and fast, so uh, from Kamloops... Uh, Pretty much any corner of the province we can hit, even though it's still kind of like more uh, southern based, but uh, we could still go up uh, towards uh, Fort St. John area with these airplanes. While the tankers will generally fly single mission days, the skimmer crews can be airborne for up to four hours at a time, attacking a wildfire repeatedly. It doesn't really matter. We'll even go to small ones that are like 0.1 of a hectare, so really small. Um, and really that's the best time for us to go to them uh, because then we're the most effective and um, I'd say on average uh, for initial attack our fires tend to be in like the two to four hectare range uh, for the air tankers. In the fire bosses the scooping and the picking up water is definitely what's the most challenging and for our newer pilots uh, typically has the steepest learning curve for sure but uh, once once a pilot gets a few seasons on the machine uh, and they you know really get in tune with it it uh, becomes second nature. After calmer wildfire seasons in 2019 and 2020 and then the devastation of last summer Mike and his crew are hoping for a boring summer here in Kamloops but they are prepared to jump into the cockpit and take flight whenever they're called upon. Happy to be back in Kamloops it's de uh, definitely like a second home for uh, a lot of us and we love coming back here every year. Michael Reeves, CFJC News. Amtrak is delaying resumption of its passenger train service between Seattle and Vancouver until possibly December because of a lack of personnel. Transportation officials had hoped the trains would roll again by summer or even late spring. But Amtrak says it doesn't have enough conductors, mechanics and onboard service staff yet to operate the trains. About 159,000 people per year rode between the two cities before the pandemic, or 290,000 when stations between Seattle and Vancouver are included. 
Motorists on the Lower Mainland are feeling more of the sting from the soaring price of gas this weekend. Gas stations in the Tri-Cities posting prices up to 225.9 and 227.9 a litre today, with predictions they will climb yet again up to 233.9 a litre tomorrow. Many experts have attributed the soaring gas prices to market destabilization brought on by the war in Ukraine, as well as global demand with COVID-19 restrictions easing. Yesterday, Premier John Horgan encouraged residents to reduce travel costs where possible, for which some have criticized as being out of touch with average British Columbians. And coming up, the conclusion for a pioneer co-op. We just couldn't sustain that over the long term. What's forced one of the last grocery stores of its kind that's left to shut its doors for good. This is a very, very significant, emotionally significant event for, for Hong Kongers. Plus, how the first ever Vancouver Hong Kong Fair is bringing community together. An East End Vancouver institution will soon be a thing of the past. This weekend will be the last time shoppers will be able to pick up produce and other groceries from the East End Food Co-op after decades on Commercial Drive. Jasmine Bala has the story. We have our dairy section over here, tofu. We have uh, juices. It's got everything from food to toiletries. But once it's sold, it won't be restocked. We're actually closing the doors on Sunday. It's the end of the line for what he says is Vancouver's last consumer-owned grocery store. East End Food Co-op will open for the last time on Sunday. We have been experiencing declining sales over the past 10 years. Um, I mean, there has been more competition over the years. But, uh, but this is a trend that's been going on for a lot of the smaller stores in the area. It's gotten to the point where the store has been operating at a loss for years. Every month coming up short thousands of dollars from breaking even. And we just couldn't sustain that over the long term. We've tried so many different ideas. But with the additional challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic and inflation, it's become impossible to keep the doors open. kind of sad. It's been an institution and commercial drive for a long time. For nearly 50 years, people have been able to get organic, natural and bulk foods at the co-op. I'm very sad that uh, Food Co-op is closing. Been a member for 25 years. One look at the notes left behind will tell you. For many, it was more than just a local grocery store. This is where we run down to. We know everybody who works here. We have chats with them about their kids or their recipe they've made or they know my kids. I've got my two dogs parked outside. I mean, it's just, it's it's community. So sad. The end of an era for this fixture on Vancouver's commercial drive. Jasmine Bala, Global News. Thousands gathered at SFU's Harbour Centre today for the first ever Vancouver Hong Kong Fair. The inaugural event's 3,000 tickets sold out in one day last month. With the Chinese Communist Party asserting itself more and more, Hong Kongers say they have witnessed their culture and community increasingly vanish over the last decade. This is an opportunity for them to come together to celebrate culture and language while showcasing local artisans and makers. It's important to have these safe spaces for Hong Kongers to gather together and uh, to share our language, to share our experiences. And a lot of Hong Kongers are, uh, new kind of Hong Kongers are here today and they find comfort because they've been missing home. This is a very, very significant, emotionally significant event for, 
for Hong Kongers, for parents to be able to introduce theirs to their children, for instance, about like Hong Kong culture. It's really, really important. An Oak Bay centenarian is hoping to reach his $103,000 fundraising goal after finishing his latest round of laps for charity. Second World War veteran and Carlton House resident John Hillman turned 103 in March and finished his third walking fundraiser on Friday. This time, Hillman completed 103 laps around the Carlton House courtyard over 10 days, raising money for Save the Children, including kids facing war in Ukraine. Hillman held similar walking fundraisers in 2020 and 2021. A crowd was on hand to support him for his final 10 laps. So far this year, Hillman has raised more than $88,000. And coming up, access to abortion. We have disparate access when it comes to contraception. It's not covered for many patients. How protesters are making their point in Vancouver as rallies against a possible Roe v. Wade ruling overturn take place across the U.S. This is the worst nightmare that any community can face. Plus, the latest on a mass shooting at a Buffalo supermarket that's left multiple people dead. Supporters of abortion rights demonstrated in marches and rallies across the U.S. today following a leaked draft opinion from the Supreme Court that the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling could be overturned south of the border. That prospect prompting solidarity rallies here in Canada, including in Vancouver. Paul Johnson reports. I'm here saying that I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of what people will say about me. If you were wondering how closely Canadians are following the anticipated overturning of America's abortion law. We are in alignment with the women and the people of the United States. This rally Saturday in Vancouver could serve to answer some of your questions. I'm a family physician and I work in Vancouver and I work with people across the reproductive care spectrum. I do obstetrics and I also do abortion. Dr. Amanda says for any Canadians taking the view that access to abortion is in a much better place north of the border, it's worth recognizing that people face barriers here as well. We have disparate access when it comes to contraception. It's not covered for many patients in this region. We have disparate access when it comes to actual abortion clinics in this region. Most clinics are in urban areas. Patients have to travel long distances. I think it's absolutely critical that we speak up and speak out for pro-choice. MP Jenny Kwan also highlighted the issue of unequal access. And sexual health services for the LGBTQ2 plus community, for the trans community, is also not available. Rallies happened in the U.S. Capitol and across North America Saturday. The overturning of Roe v. Wade is not a done deal yet. But after an historic breach of Supreme Court secrecy, a leaked document suggests a majority of America's top justices are poised to end the decades-old federal protection for what many consider a basic, inalienable right. A lot of really restrictive abortion laws will snap into place and basically prevent uh, people from accessing reproductive health care in that country. But the message here in our country is that the fight for access isn't over. One point made was that reproductive health options in Canada's Catholic-run hospitals can be very different depending on the institution and the doctor. They'd prefer that change. Right here in Canada, we also have to keep up the fight. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. 
At least 10 people were killed in a mass shooting today at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, that officials are calling a pure hate crime and hate-motivated violent extremism. The shooting happened at a store not far from the Canadian border in a predominantly black neighborhood. In all, 13 people were shot. Three people have been rushed to hospital and are expected to survive. The shooter is in custody. He was armed with a high-powered rifle and dressed in body armor. One of the victims is a retired police officer who was working security at the store who tried to stop the suspect. The mayor says the shooter traveled hours to his city to shoot people. When I first saw him shooting, he shot a woman, he shot a deacon, he shot another woman, and then he went in the store and started shooting again. So I don't know who he was shooting at. We have suffered a mass shooting with multiple casualties and several people injured. This is the worst nightmare that any community can face. And we are hurting and we are seething right now as a community. The depth of pain uh, that families are feeling and that all of us are feeling right now cannot even be explained. A tour bus operator has now been charged in connection with a deadly crash in Jasper National Park. Nearly two years ago, the bus rolled off a road in the Columbia ice field, killing three people and injuring more than a dozen others. The vehicle was operated by Brewster Incorporated, which is now facing eight charges under the Occupational Health and Safety Act. They are related to the use and maintenance of seatbelts, failing to control hazards and failing to ensure the equipment was in safe operating condition. A civil case before the courts represents six surviving passengers and the estate of one person who passed away. Their lawyer says his clients have been waiting patiently for answers and while the charges bring some closure, it's not enough. Unfortunately, our clients' lives won't be the same and part of the reason these charges are good and strong, in our opinion, is we won't we don't want these incidents to occur again. We don't want people to be so severely injured, and we certainly don't want to lose any lose any more life on tour operations such as this. The case is set to be heard in Jasper Provincial Court next month. The RCMP has completed the criminal investigation, but that report has yet to be released. In Health Matters, researchers believe they have found the reason some babies die from sudden infant death syndrome. The study by doctors at the Children's Hospital in Sydney found a lowered level of a certain enzyme can explain the malfunction that causes some babies not to wake if they stop breathing in their sleep. For years, it was suspected SIDS was caused by a defect in part of the brain. The doctor in charge of the study says families who have suffered this tragedy can now know for sure there is nothing they could have done to prevent the death. Yvonne Schell will be in for the full forecast after this break, but first. Most of them are scientists themselves and the only scientists that the public sees on a regular basis. How TV news meteorologists like Yvonne are uniquely positioned to engage us on climate change. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, we all know that climate change is a serious threat to the future of humanity, but it's sometimes hard to think about what we as individuals can actually do about it. Despite the warnings, the climate crisis can still feel distant and very abstract. But as Global's Kamyar Razavi reports, a group of people you may not have thought about are changing that perception. 
the warning signs are here and there are more of them than ever. We must continue to cut our emissions and build resiliency through our society. For decades, Canadians have been warned about the deadly impacts of climate change. And yet the climate crisis, as urgent as it is, can still feel abstract and hopeless. But that's changing. I will be the first to admit that I was really hesitant to even come anywhere near to talking about climate change. That's Alan Seals, the chief meteorologist at the local NBC station in Mobile, Alabama, one of the most conservative places in the U.S. Like many TV weathercasters, he wasn't always the first to connect the nightly weather forecast to long-term climate trends. They're two different things, but... There is no debate whatsoever that the Earth is warming. It is impacting our lives, commerce, transportation, agriculture. So these days, he regularly includes climate information in his weather report, making climate change understandable and relatable to the average person. That shows you slight warming around here, and that's why your air conditioning unit's probably running more frequently. TV weathercasters are uniquely positioned to bring climate change information to their local audiences. First of all, most of them are scientists themselves and the only scientists that the public sees on a regular basis. They already have this ability to break down complex equations and mathematics and physics into simple statements. It's having a major impact as weathercasters help people understand the local impacts of climate change. It helps people to understand climate change isn't only a distant problem. It's actually a problem that has already come home to roost in our communities now. I truly believe that when people are smarter, we are healthier. You live longer, you live better when you have solid information to help you uh, live your life and plan your life. Information that's increasingly important in a rapidly warming planet. Kamiar Razavi, Global News, Vancouver. And on that note, we'll bring in our meteorologist, Yvonne Shell for a look at our forecast. And we've seen season after season of unseasonable temperatures, Yvonne, and it seems like this May is no different. Yeah, and you know what? We've really seen this even in the past year, right? We've had extremes with heat. We've had the atmospheric rivers, and we're going to continue to track that. Right now, though, we are seeing temperatures well below the average for this time of the year. It's been on the cool side, and we'll likely continue to see that into early next week. Plans so far, though, as we get in towards this evening, will be the chance for some showers. Temperatures are sitting at 14. We've got a northeasterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour, and we'll likely see more cloud cover as we get in overnight tonight. 14 was the high today. I wanted to show you that just on the almanac. So 17 is the average for this time of the year, and a record on the state, 25 degrees. That was set back in 1973. Overnight tonight, we'll see that chance for some showers increase and then rain beginning tomorrow morning. If you do have plans, it'll be a soggy one. We'll have rainfall through the day and temperatures just getting up to 13 as a daytime high. Here's the weather maker that is going to bring in that moisture through the day. It'll pick up, especially towards the morning hours, all areas along the coast. We can see that along the island. And then if you're in the interior, we'll likely see the rain picking up towards the afternoon and continuing in towards the early evening. So we are going to see a soggy one for our Sunday and then on and off showers leading in towards our Monday. Rainfall amounts, we could see anywhere between 10, potentially up to 20 millimeters. Higher amounts will be along the North Shore Mountains and pushing in towards Howe Sound. The northern half of the province, though, coastal areas with the rainfall, it is breezy at times. Those winds sustained at 30, and we could see gusts closer to 50 kilometers per hour. More cloud cover rolling in for the northeastern corners of the province. Much of the central and southern interior, it'll be similar. We will have that cloud cover in the morning. The rain starts to pick up. 
afternoon, heavier at times, and then pushing in towards the southeastern corners towards the evening. Whistler with highs on the cool side tomorrow, just getting up to 10 degrees. And then most areas along the south coast, we are seeing those temperatures ranging between 13 for Metro Vancouver, areas extending into the Fraser Valley, Chilliwack even getting up to 16 degrees. Be prepared. You'll need your umbrellas, wellies for the day tomorrow. It'll be breezy at times, an easterly wind up to 30 kilometers per hour. Bit of a soggy one for a Sunday. Looks like it'll be showers on Monday, drying out towards the evening hours and we may grab a nice break on our Tuesday as well. Nithu? All right. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Well, local astronomy buffs are hoping for clear skies tomorrow night when we could spot a total lunar eclipse. Computer animation shows how the total lunar eclipse would look like from the west coast as the Earth passes directly between the moon and the sun, with the moon appearing bathed in red and orange. It will be the first so-called blood moon in a year. So the moon rises at around 9 p.m. and it will already be fully eclipsed here on the west coast if you are lucky enough to have good weather to watch it. Um, It should last till around 11 p.m. and it should be a pretty good show. It's a nice, you know, a couple of hours where you can watch the change of the appearance of the moon. So it will start fully eclipsed, it will look a little bit red, and then it will get lighter and lighter as the uh, moon leaves the shadow of the earth. Experts say lunar eclipses are more common than solar eclipses. They happen twice a year and can be seen on the night side of the planet. And they are safe to be observed with the naked eye, unlike solar eclipses. (laughs) Important piece of information there. And Barry joins us now for some important information on what is coming up in sports. Barry, a big night. Yes, nothing uh, grips Canada like Game 7s in the Stanley (laughs) Cup uh, playoffs. And there are three of them uh, going on today. Two, uh, one is finished, one's going on, one's later on. So we'll fill you in on that. And uh, the Whitecaps play today, kind of a playoff atmosphere at BC Place. Lots of goals in action uh, in their game against San Jose. So full highlights of that coming up as well. All right. Thanks very much, Barry. And also ahead on the news hour, deciding whether to have children amid COVID-19 spread. It kind of scared us away from trying. New stats on how the pandemic is affecting fertility plans for couples across Canada. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team. And let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. Planning to have a child can be challenging at the best of times, but the pandemic created even more hurdles for many Canadians who decided to delay their decision. Global Charmin Somani reports. The more that the news started coming out, with what COVID was and how it is, well, like what kind of havoc it was wreaking on the world and how fast it was spreading, it kind of scared us away from trying. When the pandemic began, Samantha worked from home and took care of her toddler after his daycare shut down. The uncertainty of the pandemic, health risks and excessive stress took a toll and she and her husband decided to delay their plans for a second child. It's super exhausting for the both of us. So we couldn't have found time, even though that we were both home. A Statistics Canada report found in 2021, nearly 24% of Canadians changed their fertility plans due to the spread of COVID-19. Obstetric doctor Tally Bogler says uncertainty was a big factor. The economic uncertainty, the general uncertainty, uncertainty about the future, 
and fear of COVID-19 infection in pregnancy. She says many avenues for support were also disrupted. The system was overwhelmed. Fertility clinics were closed. All the pregnancy supports that typically exist were, were disrupted, like prenatal classes and breastfeeding supports. People were afraid of having family members come into the home to help. According to a global Ipsos study, financial concerns were a top reason why many people delayed plans for a baby. Wealth advisor Jeanette Power says financial planning is key before having a child. Daycare costs in 2020 were an average in Toronto of $1,600 a month. You can imagine if you have two or three children how quickly that that adds up. Educational planning, you may need to upgrade your vehicle and you may need to upgrade to a larger living space. Power says budgeting is not meant to discourage you, but rather show you the areas where you can save and set you up for success. That's prudent no matter if we're in a pandemic or if we're not. Charmaine Samani, Global News. Still ahead, feats of force on display in Kelowna. To see this many people support us is awesome. How participants in the new provincial qualifying competition are proving their strength. The Salvation Army has been serving the downtown east side for more than 65 years. While the need continues to grow, they have a vision to meet the demand. Nine Stories of Hope will provide essential services to those in need. And revitalize the community. mayors across Metro Vancouver and supporting food banks in our community. From May 1st to 31st, mayors are engaged in a friendly competition between cities to raise the most money per capita with an overall campaign goal of $500,000 to get food to those who need it. Details available online. May is National Physiotherapy Month. Throughout the month, engage with free online interactive resources and hear stories from BC's devoted physiotherapists to learn how they can help you feel your best going into the summer season, no matter what your limitations or goals. Our BC is brought to you in part by the Salvation Army's Transform, an evening of philanthropy to rebuild Vancouver's downtown east side. All right, Barry's here for the full sports cast on a night of many Game 7s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the three tonight, two tomorrow. Oh. A second, but first, we're going to soccer it to you with a little Whitecaps. Thanks so much. <laughs> the uh, Whitecaps were hoping this uh, prolonged homestand would give them the traction they need to revive their season, and so far, so good. Going into today's match against San Jose, the Caps had beaten Toronto FC 1-0 a week ago and then won their Canadian Championship playoff uh, match 2-0 against Valor FC out of Winnipeg. Baby steps, yes, but a chance today to climb out of the Western Conference cellar with a win over the Earthquakes. Whitecaps, seven points this season in MLS, all gathered at BC Place, looking for three more tonight. Not much going in the first half, but the second half was wild. Lucas Cavallini works the perfect give and go with Ryan Raposo. Cavallini with his second of the year, finding room inside the far post. It's 1-0 Vancouver. And then a few minutes later, Cavallini is in alone, looking for another one. Keeper charges out instead of the chip. He decides to power it through, but it's a good save. Remains 1-0. San Jose did tie it and then took the lead. Jeremy Abobasi will redirect the perfect feed past Cody Cropper. Now the goalkeeper for the injured Thomas Hassall. 2-1 earthquakes. Vancouver answers, though, just two minutes later. Diver Caicedo finds Ryan Raposo. Calmly fires it inside the post. It's 2-2. And we're not done yet. The Whitecaps' horrendous defending bites them again. Abobasi scores his second. 
pretty pass play by the Earthquakes. It's 3-2 San Jose, but oh, San Jose is also horribly defensively, and Eric Godoy will tie it. Nobody marking him in the box, just slots it in. 3-3, and it's even again, still five minutes to go. And at the death, one more chance. Cavallini elevates his looping header, hits the post, and stays out. Agonizingly close to a win, but the Whitecaps do escape the cellar. They're now second last, three all the final versus San Jose. Meanwhile, in London, FA Cup from Wembley, Liverpool and Chelsea. Blues have lost the last two FA Cup finals. Prince William on hand, although apparently he's an Aston Villa supporter. They haven't been to an FA Cup final in a while. Best chances from Liverpool in the first 90 minutes, but Luis Diaz and Andrew Robertson both find the woodwork. 120 minutes, solved nothing. We go to penalties. Is there anything greater pressure or more cruel than penalties to decide a trophy? Sadio Mane had a chance to give Liverpool the win. But stop. Great save by Edward Mendy. So we push on. Round seven. Tied five goals apiece. Mason Mount. Here he goes. Stopped by Allison. And you can see the anguish. That is tough to live with. Now it's on to the foot of Kostas Simakas. And Simicast will score, and Liverpool win the FA Cup in dramatic fashion. 6-5 on penalties, and they win it over Chelsea. The FA Cup champs, Liverpool. The Vancouver Giants have refused to go quietly in their Western Conference semifinal versus the Kamloops Blazers. The Giants forced a Game 6 tomorrow afternoon at 4 at Langley Event Center after a gritty 5-2 comeback win facing elimination last night in Game 5 on the road in Kamloops. And the Blazers uh, got off to a great start. Luke Toporowski with the pull and drag goes uh, top shelf on Jesper Beichmann. Kamloops perfect 4-0 in home ice in these playoffs, but the Giants down 2-1 after 2 will rally. Ty Thorpe going to the net, will score on the rebound of the Tom Cadu point shot. Ties it up 2-2, and then a minute later, Evan Toth showing great patience. A beautiful pass to Zach Ostapchuk. He fires in the game winner. Giants add a couple of empty netters and win it 5-2 to force that game six at 4 o'clock at the LEC tomorrow. Well, it's exciting and nervous times if you're a hockey fan in this country. No fewer than five Game 7s this weekend, including home games in Toronto and Edmonton. The Leafs and Oilers fan bases with uh, so much scar tissue over past playoff failures. Will this be the night they can finally celebrate? Oilers host the Kings starting in about a half hour. The Leafs are on the ice right now trying to knock out the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. Leafs Nation with enough nervous energy to power the entire country right now. So much pressure on those Leafs. Late first, this isn't good for the Lightning. Braden Point injures himself, appears to have twisted his right knee, limps off in great pain, but amazingly, he did return. But just moments later off the rush, the Lightning strike, and it's Nick Paul? Cashes the rebound. This is his first Stanley Cup playoff goal ever. That's timing. one nothing Tampa after one. Second period, Leafs captain John Tavares uh, around the net into the slot. Fires it past Vasilevsky. The Leafs are celebrating, but the goals waved off because there was a penalty call. A pick play here by defenseman Justin Hall gave uh, Tavares a bit of room. That's a good call, I think. Remains one nothing Tampa. Much of the chagrin of the Leaf fans. But the Leafs kill the penalty, and then this. Austin Matthews to the West Vancouver kid. Morgan Riley rips it top shelf. The rink explodes. It's tied 1-1. 
But the joy didn't last long. It's Nick Paul again, walks around TJ Brody and zips it past Jack Campbell. 2-1 Lightning after two. Third period, TJ Brody with the shot, stopped by Vasilevsky, Ilya Mikhaev through the crease, and it's just gone final. So Tampa's won the series four games to three. More heartbreak for the Leafs. Also, game seven from Rockus, Raleigh, North Carolina, Canes and Bruins. Patrice Bergeron in his 13th career game seven. That's amazing. Second period, Max Domi is going to score. Nice play to jam it in from a very sharp angle. Two-nothing Hurricanes, but Boston gets that back. Jake DeBrusque will uh, make it 2-1, to one, and the Bruins are right back in it. Down just a goal. The home team has won every game in this series. It is hard to win in Carolina. But later in the period, Domi is going to score again. His first two ever playoff goals. 3-1 Canes, and they will hang on for the 3-2 victory. As mentioned, the home team won every game in this series, and the Hurricanes will meet either the Rangers or Penguins in the next round. And some baseball today. Blue Jays in Tampa trying to snap a five-game uh, losing streak. Hunjin Ryu starting for the first time in a month. And it looks pretty good. Four and a two-thirds innings. Struck out three. Gave up just one His run. Left the game tied 1-1. Stays that way until the eighth when Teoscar Hernandez drills one to dead center field. That is over the wall for a homer. Bounced back onto the field, but it was out 2-1 Jays. And then later in the inning, Danny Jansen, like Hernandez, just returning from an oblique injury. Looks pretty good there. Turns on one, a three-run homer, and the Jays win it 5-1. Third round of the AT&T, Byron Nelson from Dallas, Texas. Sebastian Munoz, who shot a 12-under 60 in round one, out of the bunker on the short par four. That's an eagle two. Munoz has the lead at 21 under. Hometown boy Jordan Spieth always plays well in his home state of Texas, and he's right in the mix. A great chip at the 18th to set up a tap-in birdie. 8 under 64 today for Jordan. He's at 20 under. One back of the lead. Surrey's Adam Svensson tied 69th at 7 under. Well, the great thing about training camp is everyone is optimistic. Despite just winning five times last year, Rick Campbell and the Lions feel they have a team to be reckoned with this year in the CFL West. Training camp starts tomorrow in Kamloops. And one thing the coach knows for sure, his team is in top shape. Another reason I'm optimistic just in talking to our medical staff is they just said guys seem like they're in uh, just a better place mentally and physically and everybody's really raring to go. So. You know, we'll be we'll be smart in knowing that we're running a marathon and not a sprint. But at the same time, we need to make the most of every day and, and get out here and, and get going. That's not the most enjoyable thing for football players yeah. doing uh, two practices a day in training camp, but uh, it's necessary. You know what they say about slow and steady, right? It wins the race. Yes. Is that what, you, is that yeah. what you're going to That's what I'm going okay. for, well, we'll, yes. We'll hope they do win, <laughs> win some games at least. Exactly, yes. Thank you very much, Barry. All right, time now for a short break, but we'll be right back with the new test of strength competition in Kelowna that drew quite the crowd. Stay with us. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the hub. The Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Attention consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. And Rua investigates consumer matters on Global News. 
Well, some very heavy lifting happening in Kelowna today at the city's inaugural Strong Person Competition. Global's Darian Matassa-Fung has more. The strongest men and women in the region were out in force at City Park, competing in the first ever Kelowna's Strongest Competition. Kelowna resident hands firm in organizing the meet while also competing. I'm over the moon. Everything's going to plan, and I'm just so happy for each and every athlete here. Far past my expectations for what we could do, and I'm so happy with everyone, all the sponsors that came out, all the spectators, the crowd. I'm, I'm super happy with how everything's went. Around 200 people showed up to cheer on the competitors, the athletes lifting thousands of pounds throughout the day. I was not expecting as many people as we have here, so it's really neat to see. And yeah, it's nice to have that bit of normality, just being able to stand around and chat about something that isn't COVID. Challengers of all sizes competing. Maria Barwig, one of the standouts of the meet, she's been training for over a year and a half. This is such an awesome event. Um, Strongman or strong woman is kind of a hidden thing, and to see this many people and um, support us is awesome. I mean, we don't, I haven't typically seen this many people, so this is so awesome. I'm definitely feeling the support and the love from the people. The top three athletes in each division qualifying for a provincial tournament where they will compete for a spot at the national competition. If all goes well, the strongman and strong woman competition could become an annual event in Kelowna. Darian Matassafung, Global News, Kelowna. Wow, good for all those they participants. Could, they, they could bench press Yvonne yeah. in yes, a new event. Easily, 20, yes. 20 bench presses or 50 or it could be a record. I think it would be fun. My they, back hurts they, just thinking of that. They make it look easy. That's the <laughs> yes, thing, right? Exactly. They actually do, right? They really do. I think yes. they train. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think there's a lot of prep that goes yeah. into it. It uh, looks like the weather held up, though. It was an outdoor competition. Yeah, it was fine. And the Okanagan, actually, the rain's going to pick up once again for tomorrow. But for us across Metro Vancouver, be prepared. Tomorrow will be the wetter day or the weekend. The rain begins in the morning through the day. It'll be periods of rain, cool still into early next week on Tuesday, hoping to see a bit of a break in there as well. All right, good to know. Thanks very much for that. And thank you very much for sharing some of your night with us. Krista Dow will be here at 11. Have a great night. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.